Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I are going to be talking about church networks and fulfilling the mission. And I could not think of anyone better to be a part of this discussion than the man himself, uh, Dr. Zach Nelson. Zach serves as the executive director of the Pillar Network, a role he's been in since 2011. Uh, he's a two-time graduate at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I'm pretty sure he's always traveling uh, across the country. Uh, there have been numerous times uh, where I've been talking to pastors in different states, and they mention, oh, yeah, he was just here in our area. So I'm not even fully convinced we're not on a plane with Zach right now. <laughs> uh, but, brother, thanks for, for joining our conversation today and the faithful uh, work uh, that you've done with the Pillar Network. Oh, it's a great blessing, brothers. It's, uh, it's such a joy to be with you all. Well, let's jump right in. For those who might be unfamiliar with Pillar, could you take some time to explain what the Pillar Network is, how did it get started, and and what's the mission? Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the mission, kind of who we are. Uh, The Pillar Network is a family of Great Commission Baptist or Southern Baptist churches that are all doctrinally aligned so that we can be missionally driven. And when we talk about our actual mission, what we want to accomplish together in our partnerships is we want to raise up pastors or elders within our churches to be sent out to either plant new churches or revitalize churches that in some form or fashion are struggling or without pastors. Um, So really, we're trying to connect something that we believe that Southern Baptists historically and even Baptists historically have done extremely well and said, how do we do this in contemporary modern day times um, and bridge kind of this historical uh, association of Baptist churches to bring back back a sense of how churches really connect and partner together to accomplish this mission. Um, We started back in 2011, and it really just flowed out uh, of the heartbeat of discipleship of a local church here Mm -hmm. in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, located about 11 miles from Southeastern Seminary. Uh, So really, we can't divorce how Pillar Network started from the mission that was given to Southeastern Seminary and the partnership that we've enjoyed. Uh, The Open Door just providentially had a lot of Southeastern students Mm -hmm. aspiring towards pastoral ministry, um, and Open Door came through a point of uh, transitioning, moving their church from being a single pastor model uh, to a plurality, uh, a pastor or elder leadership, uh, and as a part of that, really felt the need to say, okay, we need to do something as a church. Uh, the keys of the kingdom have been given to us in a sense of how do we disciple those from within the body that are aspiring towards pastoral ministry to where we can send them out extremely well. Mm. And so our church started an internship, uh, and it was a two-year internship where we had the joy of, uh, with a group of other aspiring pastors to um, uh, to memorize First and Second Timothy and Titus together, and then we were pe- paired up with elders and staff at our church to really just learn what it meant to do uh, faithful shepherding within the context of the body. And so there became this sense of we want to raise up elders within the church, some of which are going to stay and shepherd the body, and some of which will be sent out to either plant or revitalize churches throughout the U.S. and also internationally. Hmm. So that started back kind of in 2011. Um, I transitioned out of staff at Open Door, where I'd served as the youth and college pastor for six years, um, and 
uh, and the elders had had a desire to say, okay, let's start a network. Um, and I didn't really know what a network was at that point in time. Um, and the way Dwayne kind of defined it to me, Dwayne Milioni, the lead pastor of Open Door, it's, you know, it's very similar to, to an association of churches. I said, well, that's, that's amazing. Let's kind of revive associationalism. We had not had the joy of really partaking uh, in healthy, doctrinally aligned partnerships with other churches to that point. Um, and so this was going to be a very formalized way where we could start to define a sense of doctrinal affinity, what we believed a healthy church was. And then start to identify churches, not just here locally, but really all over the U.S. that would affirm the sense of what is a healthy church. Mm -hmm. And we would kind of define our cooperation around that. And so God in his kindness brought uh, five churches uh, to us, um, one up in Boston, Hope Fellowship, uh, and kind of the Cambridge area, one down in Miami, a church plant, really, that we uh, had sent out a couple years before where Jose Abella was is the lead pastor, also um, a graduate from here as well at Providence Road. We had Open Door, and then two churches uh, in South Carolina, Cornerstone, led by Bill Curtis, and um, and Crosspoint Clemson. And these five churches came together in a meeting to find out what the DNA of the Pillar Network is, and we've kind of got six DNAs. Um, there's this commitment to uh, gospel proclamation. Uh, we want to be uh, churches that proclaim the sovereignty of God and salvation. Uh, we've got, we feel like for us to cooperate well, we need to really be able to find what is salvation. Um, who does the saving, that it's not man, it's all the work of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, we want to be committed uh, to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Word of God, so we want to be Bible-based. Uh, we want to be committed to a, a plurality of elder leadership. Uh, we want to be confessionally baptistic, and we want to be kingdom-minded. And mm. when we talk about what does it mean to be kingdom-minded, uh, this really comes back to the importance of uh, using the resources that God has blessed the church with um, and really being generous. Uh, the resources of our finances, um, the gifts of the people that he's given us, uh, in a real sense that we're not going to hold this tightly, but for the sake of the Great Commission, we're going to release this out mm. um, in cooperation with other doctrinally aligned churches. And so God, is in, in his kindness, has kind of grown us from five churches now to uh, 206 churches uh, all over the U.S., um, and a little over three years ago, our board kind of uh, recognized a great desire to say, you know what, We've, we're, we're really feeling like the Lord's allowing us to revive a sense of, of associationalism, which in some parts throughout the U.S. and throughout the SBC has an appearance of brokenness. Um, and, but this isn't the only place. There's, there's brokenness in associationalism everywhere. Right. And so if we've got an answer, at least one answer, to how churches can cooperate and fulfill the Great Commission together, um, then how do we start uh, helping churches uh, that share a doctrinal alignment so that they can be missionally driven uh, to begin partnering together in other countries? And mm -hmm. so uh, we've got partnerships uh, kind of all over the world that the Lord's kind of raising up. And so this that's a little bit, hopefully that answers some of those questions. There. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talked a little bit about uh, healthy cooperation and what healthy cooperation looks like, you know, in terms of uh, uh, doctrinal uh, uh, agreement and, and, and fidelity, kind of a common mission, a common vision for the kingdom, you know, and things like that. But but as you mentioned, you know, we're you know, associationism and so on has kind of fallen on hard times, right? You know, you you've got especially in in Baptist life uh, a long-standing tradition of churches that say essentially, "Leave me alone, 
<laughs> you know, I'm not trying to yeah. Uh, to, yeah. to be a part of a presbytery, you know, or something like that or a synod or anything. I want to be over here. We're doing our thing, minding our business. You mind yours and so on. So why, uh, both with that longstanding tradition and even the current, you know, winds, you know, blowing in our, mm-hmm. in our own uh, society these days, why in the world would a church want to cooperate in the first place? Yeah. Like, what? Why should a church be in some type of uh, healthy cooperation or association with well, other churches? I, and that is a great question because I do think there is that tendency for Baptist churches, because of our commitment to autonomy, to kind of insulate ourselves, uh, to almost be like, you know, what we need to focus on our church, my church, and and I'm driven to make my church the healthiest church that I can be and 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 kind of get these blinders on that the Lord has kind of decided, and this wasn't necessarily man's plan, this is God's plan, to use the church and the planting of new churches, I think, as we just read through the book of Acts. Um, I'm just coming off of kind of doing my D-Men project here. This was my D-Men project. And so uh, looking at the church of Antioch, looking at the church uh, in Jerusalem, demonstrating that from the very beginning that churches were meant to cooperate together. And what they did is when a church recognized that another gathering had started, uh, there was a real need to say, okay, they need a leader. Hmm. So we're going to send Barnabas there. And so from the very beginning, there's this sense of, man, leaders need to be raised up in churches to help bring a sense of strength and health to churches where there's either a lack of leadership or just a, a lack of health in some form or fashion. And so ingrained in us as we read the Bible and as we look at the book of Acts, there really seems to be a convincing argument that churches need to not be insulated Mm -hmm. because otherwise we're going to get to the point where we never look around and say, okay, there's a church over here in need. And, and, and then we recognize that, man, maybe we're going to be in a need at some point, Mm -hmm. our church, Mm -hmm. which is exactly where the church of Jerusalem found itself um, because of famine and persecution that was taking place. And, and when uh, the mother church had kind of went through this, the Antioch church, how did they respond? They took up an offering. Yeah. And where did they take it? By the hand of Paul of Barnabas, they took it back to who? The elders yeah. of the church there so that it would bless them. And it's not much later uh, down the road um, to where throughout the book of Acts, then Paul and Barnabas, and they're sent out, I think, with, with, uh, with Mark and and then they end up planting three more churches on the first missionary journey, mm-hmm. and they come back again. And then they do some, some theologizing together, you know, at the Jerusalem Council. Mm-hmm. And when everything comes together, there's this question of, oh, man, you know, are we handling this doctrine correctly? And, um, and as they're looking at it, they bring a group of leaders from churches together. They wrestle over theology together. And so, man, this is something that was never done alone, mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, so if there's a real sense of we want to be Bible-based churches, we can't ignore how the Bible really gives us a model for mm. not only how churches cooperate to be on mission with one another, but to make sure we remain pure in doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that seemed to be uh, kind of the historical um, gift that's been passed down to us as we kind of adopted Baptist associationalism from from England and from Wales. Mm -hmm. And then when they came over here, a group of five churches coming together in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. that ended up growing and then planting the association in Charleston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's... Uh, that's what I want us to regain. Not, not, not that we're trying to start anything new, mm-hmm. but we're saying, man, there used to be something great that was old, 
is there a way to get back to it? Yeah. And it's always hard, you know, when you're trying to figure these things out, right. especially with churches that are ingrained with things that are unhealthy. And because of our own bent towards sin, we've got to recognize and first pull out the things that are in our own eyes so that mm-hmm. we can rightly say, okay, Scripture, do a work in our lives so and in our churches so then we can properly cooperate with others. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's okay. so encouraging to see cooperation happen, right? So, I know uh, there's a, a church planner in the Pillar Network in South Carolina right now, uh, and he gained support with churches all across the country, but also in Scotland. Yeah. And that is just so encouraging to see just the international uh, cooperation uh, for the sake of the gospel and planting churches. Amen, brother. So let's talk a little bit about some challenges. What have been some challenges as Pillar has grown uh, and as you've evaluated church planners, replanners, and revitalizers? Mm. So the challenges, I think, with growth, um, I think, is you recognize, man, you need other leaders um, to come around you and other churches to really speak into blind spots that you have. And I think that's pretty much anything, whether it's the growth of a local church, a growth of a, a business, or um, a growth of a network or an association of churches. Uh, and so, so we've really had to say, okay, how do we expand aspects of pastoral leaders to speak into uh, kind of the direction of the pillar network as we grow uh, without really changing the doctrinal convictions of the reasons of why we feel like the pillar network needed to begin um, and why churches have said we want to be a part of this. Um, but but thinking through ways of, of man, how do we best uh, steward time as pastors to raise up other el- elders? What does it really look? How does the church do this in different contexts? What does sending look like? How how quick should you be to raise up a pastor and send them out? How much money do they need to plant or to revitalize a church? Um, so all these things over time, um, you just tend to realize that when you first started to try to solve these problems, uh, there's a real sense of a lack of you're trying to do something that you know is important, but you really don't have the answers for it. And I think that's how Pillar started. In many ways, we knew we needed to be planting churches. We knew we needed to be raising up elders as a group of churches cooperating together. But we were just figuring it out on our own. Uh, and so as you do that, you do make mistakes along the way, and you plant a church too quickly. Um, or or you, uh, you don't raise enough money. Or you send some, somebody out that, uh, not that they're not elder qualified, but they may not be a lead pastor type. Um, and there's a real sense of the more you do it, the more you learn. Uh, and so those are the type of things that I feel like um, as a network grows, we've also been forced to, to say, okay, all this can't take place. That When we talk about the pillar network, um, uh, we can't think about the pillar network in the sense that the headquarters of it is in Raleigh or in Wake Forest. Um, there's been a real sense of the pillar network needs to become regionalized. Uh, and so we've had, uh, we've got pastors and churches meeting together on a monthly basis, five mm-hmm. churches here. Some of our larger regions may have 15 or 20 churches cooperating together. Some may have three or four as they're just really starting and asking the question of how are we as a group of even smaller churches with the burden to say we need to plant a church because the need is so great, how do we actually get started? And that's the joy of really Pillar is, is they've got models of other many associations that are pastor-led that are asking these same questions that a group in Utah could then pick up the phone with a growing group of churches cooperating in Phoenix 
And there can be a real sense of modeling and tutoring and influence um, where the pillar network, in a sense, is just the umbrella. It's the umbrella that contains these doctrinal convictions that all the, the churches share, and, and it helps facilitate the responsibility of the churches to actually lead and to influence other churches. So the pillar networks now in all of these places, and yes, there may be a larger group around Southeastern and throughout the Southeast where it started, mm. but with that also comes a larger responsibility to do greater sense of influence right. all throughout the nation and throughout the world. Man, I, I love hearing what God is doing uh, there through uh, this, this network of churches and many networks within the larger mm. network. What's well, been one of the biggest encouragements for you? I mean, just from your from your perch, mm. <laughs> as you see, you know, the churches working together and maybe even your interaction with the with the churches. So both in within their interactions with each other and then, you know, you as you're kind of uh, uh, helping to facilitate, you know, and, and, and organize, you know, the structures and so on. What have been some of the yeah. more encouraging things that you've seen? Yeah, so I, I, I'll try to personalize this um, because in many ways this is probably the most important thing for me, at least at this point in time. And it's not necessarily directly connected to Pillar, um, but it's more directed to, to me and my family. Mm. Um, I'm seeing my love for the church increase, mm. you know, and the longer that I do this, the more I'm being informed um, by seeing healthy churches started with very, very strong convictions about what they believe a church should be. Mm-hmm. And so there becomes this sense of, man, when we started this, this is 10 years ago, I'm 42, I was 32 years old. Um, I'd been on staff at a church, and, and I'd seen a healthy church. But, man, I just—you can never get over mm-hmm. how, how, how churches— are, are trying to apply God's word in a healthy context. Yeah. And it just kind of ricochets back to you. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot. You can forget these things mm-hmm. um, in the same way that if I'm not constantly reminding myself about my own salvation and what the Lord has done, I can forget. I don't want to, but what's going to propel me to go out and share the gospel with somebody else, remembering my own salvation? And so there's this real sense that that it's easy for us in established churches to get this real sense of, well, we got there, we planted some churches, and it's just going to kind of, you know, we get the get the ball rolling, it'll just keep rolling. and But, but you can kind of move into areas where there's a sense of unhealth in how you're making discipleship. Mm-hmm. And you need to be watching the the health of other churches and how they're starting, even younger churches, and it reminds you, okay, we're getting a little bit off kilter here. And I've seen that, you know, in my own life. I've seen it. My kids love the church. Mm. That's an important thing to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, I want them to be seeing, man, the, what, what's taking place right. uh, when, when I get a chance to take them with me on a trip and try to do that every single year. Yeah. Um, and so that's just for me, like the most important thing for me that I look at just personally is, man, my love for the church is continuing to increase. Um, my family's love for the church is continuing to increase. Now, as I look at the network as a whole, one of the most exciting and more encouraging things that, that, that I can think about is just what God is really reviving internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, uh, I love our cooperative program. I love it. I love it. It's one of the big reasons why we're Southern Baptist in some way. Yes, our commitment to what does it mean to be Baptistic, um, but there's this 
there's this real sense of, I think, in unhealthy ways, we become dependent upon agencies. Um, and, and when we talk about the importance of sending, it really is, and as I, as I read Scripture, this is something that the Spirit of God, what He's doing is calling those out to be sent, but the church is also recognizing the work of God over a, an extended period in time and is doing the sending. Okay, so they're this agent of sending. And I think potentially there could be an unhealthy relationship where we're too dependent on agencies that help facilitate this work, um, where I look at these associational principles where one church establishes a relationship with another church. Yeah. And there can be the raising up of a, of a member that has been meaningfully engaged in a church and discipled over a period in time and recognized that, man, they've got elder-type qualities and they have the aspiration to be sent and the Spirit of God's working in them to where we can then recognize another church somewhere else in the world that shares the exact same convictions. And we can say, you know what? Let's develop a relationship between these two churches. This member will land at this church, and there can be a real sense of then, at that point, healthy membership at this church as they prepare a team and get released out to do healthy evangelism and discipleship and by God's grace see a church established in a place where there needs to be a church internationally. And so I so this is I think this is something too that, you know, when I think about um, our agencies, man, I think when they hear this this, it doesn't go against their mission. It, mm. In many ways, I think this is ultimately what they want churches to do. Yeah. Mm. If churches, in a sense, take back the responsibility that God's given them, then I think, man, it, how much more blessed would our agencies be if rather than, you know, a hundred churches in the SBC did this, a thousand churches, and then two thousand. Mm. And that needs to be the, the role of at least a network like Pillar, and hopefully more networks that end up coming up or associations regaining this sense of what does it mean to be healthy senders. Yeah. You know, like we were talking before, my wife and I, before we came up, weren't really a part of a healthy church. And so when we came to Wake Forest and got plugged into a healthy church, it was so easy uh, for our love to deepen for the local church. I mean, uh, I've seen it in my wife and my kids uh, where you just, the kids actually look forward to going into yeah. church and seeing their church family. And uh, why wouldn't you want to duplicate that? Why wouldn't you want to cooperate to see more churches planted and replanted and revitalized so that others can have that love deepen for the local church? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So we're talking a lot about uh, church planting. We're talking a lot about church revitalizing and, and so forth. And, and there's a, a little bit of an elephant in the room. Okay. So uh, I know uh, definitely from the places where I've served, uh, you know, God's moved in those areas. Uh, the convention has has uh, sent uh, planters into those areas, and there are times where it works really well, and the planters are able to to dig roots and and you know they uh, are embraced by the community, embraced by other churches, and so on. And then there are other times where they come in, and there's a tension there between the church planter and, 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 and the church that, he's, uh, that, that God's raising up with him uh, and with the existing churches that, that feel like, you know, someone's uh, infringing on their territory, yeah. you know, and so on. There can be this tension. How, how can churches serve communities together 
old older churches, newer churches, and so on, and not see themselves as threats to each other. So there's a responsibility um, of everybody planting a church in a specific area to seek out and develop healthy um, and hopefully God-honoring and encouraging relationships with pastors in the area. Unfortunately, I think at times that gets lost. Mm-hmm. And, and I think even at times, I don't think it's on purpose. Um, and this is where an established church in an area that sees a young pastor, aspiring pastor with the team's got to recognize, I think, a little bit of just the youngness mm-hmm. um, and, and can be helpful in helping younger pastors grow up and mature. Um, I don't know of a church planter that's ever said, I planted a perfect church or started perfectly. Um, so there's, uh, I want to kind of hit this from both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a responsibility of planters to recognize if you plant quickly and if you go into an area thinking that your church plant is the answer mm-hmm. to, uh, to all um, church problems, you place yourself in this salvific type mindset that I think is just arrogant. Absolutely. Um, and not only does it hurt kingdom cooperation, but it gives a bad taste in the mouth of other healthy churches. They may not be just like you, mm. but they're gospel preaching churches with memberships that love Jesus, mm. that you're going to lose the opportunity to influence on mainly, mainly areas of finer points of theology that you, you love, um, but you're going to lose the opportunity to influence uh, and, and to gain a sense of friendship with these pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say this, churches that are established, where you recognize church plants are coming in to the area, um, if for some reason they don't reach out to you, if for some reason they've not done their due diligence, do the best that you can to recognize aspects of immaturity and say, man, how do I bring brothers like this along? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this both-and mentality. Um, I think too often probably both sides draw conclusions because they've never taken the time to develop a true friendship and relationship, mm-hmm. and they make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and those assumptions are the same assumptions that are breaking down and dividing uh, and, and causing problems that exist now all throughout our convention in different areas and different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I pray that God gives us wisdom, a sense of grace towards one another, because planting and revitalizing and leading churches is hard enough mm-hmm. to where if we, if we do this independently and we silo ourselves off, we're unfortunately going to be, um, I think, just causing future problems rather than really applying the gospel to gospel work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about... Uh, uh, no matter how much society changes, uh, whether we talk with just the modernizing of, of society and things like that, every uh, community has a group of village elders, right? They're just folks that, that have been around long enough. They know everybody. Everybody knows them. You know, when we were talking about uh, ministry in the city, uh, we'd say there's always that one, you know, grandma you know, everybody in the neighborhood <laughs> knows her, and she knows everything that is going on with everybody <laughs> on the block. It's just the way. It's just the way that it is. And for planters that, uh, to come in, or even even new pastors to come in, you know, to a church, and they're beginning a pastorate in in a 
in, in a new area, know who those folks are. Amen. Know who those folks are because there is just a world of wisdom uh, in understanding the community, understanding the dynamics, you know, between the, uh, the, the neighbors and the people in the, in the neighborhood and so on. And many times, many times, that village elder is the pastor of the church down the street, you know, and mm. uh, they've been around for for decades. There's a reason they've been around for twenty some odd years. Uh, you know, they we may not dot your eyes exactly the same way, cross your t's exactly the same way, but there's a wealth of knowledge that they have about the community that yeah. you need if you're going to uh, uh, establish any type of long lasting ministry there mm. in that community. So yeah, build relationships with folks, learn from them, uh, gain the wisdom that you can from them. Uh, and, you know, along the way, you may have just gained a friend. Mm. Amen. And I'll even add just one tidbit there, because I, I, you know, as Pillar Network grows, um, what, what Pillar does not need to be seen as, and we don't want the reputation of, is in some form or fashion, identifying and looking at the, the tons of local associations that have been doing great gospel work for years and years and years, mm -hmm. and moving into an area and starting a region and completely ignore a gathering of churches that have been taking place for the last 60 right. years. Yeah. And so that's, that's one, there needs to be a disposition within the heart of our pastors and our leaders to recognize, okay, there's importance, um, there's important things that we need to do as a gathering of doctrinally aligned churches that we feel like if for some reason we're broader doctrinally, and that just happens to represent, right, uh, our, our Southern Baptist family. Mm -hmm. You know, we agree on a whole lot of things, but in areas of just distinct polity, which we feel like we need to be on the exact same page of if we're going to start a church together, sometimes you got to find this tighter group. Yeah. Well, the Historical Baptist Association is going to encompass, you know, a broader group of churches uh, that are going to view poly just a little bit differently that maybe we couldn't plant churches with every church there, mm -hmm. but there's got to be a way for, for these churches um, and, and, and for the commitment of our network. In, in many ways, since we're the new kid on the block, to come in there with a healthy disposition and develop the relationship with a historical association mm -hmm. and say, let's let's figure out a way to know each other, to love each other. Let's pull back the curtain a little bit so that whatever fears that you have or even potentially that we have, we need to be very careful before we ever draw any sort of judgments mm -hmm. that would hurt the opportunity for us to cooperate together in mission. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you, we've talked a little bit about this, but I, I want to revisit it, uh, and that's leadership development. So how can churches who might not be a part of the Pillar Network that might be listening to this think, you know, we want to do this? What can they do to help raise up future leaders? What has worked with Pillar in doing this? Yeah, so I think the best way to learn how to become a church, and I'll just say the best way to learn how to become a church that's a church planting church is you've got to watch and be influenced by other church planting churches. Mm -hmm. That's the greatest thing. Um, I think you can come to these distinctions of how to disciple make within the context of body by, by reading Scripture. You can, you can do it without the influence, but I would say in the day and age where, um, where we can be influenced, we're, we influence, we're influenced all the time by reading books, right, by listening to podcasts, by listening to sermons. Um, and so we've got these, this sense of, of all this information coming in that's teaching us all these things. I think ultimately what we need is relational models. Mm -hmm. Like we need to be able to go to another church and say, can I sit in on how you train guys aspiring towards pastoral ministry? Mm -hmm. 
Can I watch you do it? Can I see how you critique somebody as they're working through a hermeneutical passage and, 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 and as they're getting ready to expound upon it, I want to watch you critique them. I want to I watch you critique a younger brother, not just so I know how you critique them, but the spirit by which you do it. And, and learn from these pastors with a sense of tenure. Uh, and um, I just think over time, then you start to say, man, I can do this within my context and invite other churches in to participate in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what you're doing at that point in time is really just giving away what God's blessed you with. Yeah. This is what is at the very core of what healthy associationalism is. It's not necessarily tied to a one church responsibility, but I believe that we see a group of churches working together to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the more we grow in ability to relate with others about about how we raise up those aspiring to be pastors in our churches uh, and then say, how do we give our discipleship away to another church? The healthier we will be as a network, but also the healthier churches will be as they think through how to properly raise up a pastor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, internships and mentorships, all those things have been have been really important and pillar, you know, uh, I've shared a little bit. I've, I've, I went through the, the two-year internship at Open Door uh, and it was one of the most formative experiences mm. of my life, you know, being trained in seminary, in the local church, and in my job here at the center uh, has challenged me to be better prepared for pastoral ministry and leadership from every different perspective. And I'm certainly of the mindset uh, that churches need to be pouring into future leaders, whether that's through a formal internship or mentorship. Uh, you need to be letting aspiring pastors have opportunities to teach mm. Uh, to lead, to make mistakes in an environment where they can learn from their mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the internship that I went through has just been one of the biggest encouragements in, in my life. And, and seeing brothers that I did that internship with, you know, I think of Corey Zimmerman in Texas right now. Uh, I think of John Sanders getting sent to Massachusetts. I think of Ian Kitchen planning a church in Charlotte. I think of all of these brothers that we were all together in a, a room, and now they're just getting sent out all across the nation. It's just one of the biggest encouragements. And I can only imagine for pastors listening right now that might be thinking, how can I do this? How much if they actually just put, just begin, just begin, let like make mistakes, adjust as you need, but just to see these brothers and these guys that you're pouring into go out and serve the Lord, man, that's just such an encouragement. Amen. And that's also, just to remind us, that's the gift that we've been given being 11 miles to from a seminary, right? Right. And so, um, like, there's a lot of churches out there that are saying, man, I don't have 12, 15 people that I can develop this cohort of guys with that all are aspiring towards pastors um, or pastoral ministry in some form or fashion. And so I do think there's a greater sense of stewardship that churches like an open door or like a faith or like a First Baptist Durham uh, and churches, you know, around the nation that are near just great institutions where there's a lot of doctrinal influence that's coming out. And that demonstrates even cooperation more broadly that we enjoy within the SBC that we just can't ignore. Right. Like all of this, like, Pillar is really a product. It's been birthed out of faithfulness, and it's more than just one church. Right. There's this this sense of a lot of healthy kind of cooperation that's taken place that, um, yes, one church kind of said, we need to recognize that we take a lead in this, which is great, right? That fits into our theology, you know, the role of the local church in this. Um, but uh, 
Um, but it can be modeled in other places. I've got right. so many stories where I can say there's there's ch- a, a church in Utah or a church in South Dakota or a church out in San Diego or down in Miami um, that there really aren't these large institutions that are right there. Right. It's just been the slow drip of faithful discipleship, and the discipleship didn't stop with, okay, let's make them a deacon or let's get them working with youth and college students. The discipleship continued as they unraveled the Word of God and they looked at the pastorals and they started reading and really bringing before God's people, His church, what an elder was. Mm -hmm. And then the Spirit of God really does the rest as the church faithfully just disciples. And as you start to get this momentum going, on raising up elders within the church. It's amazing how the heroes uh, of, our, of our kids, of, of my kids, of, of our student ministry and college ministry, they don't start looking, they're, they're not just looking up to uh, the pro basketball player that they want to be like or, you know, the best athlete. They're watching the next church planter going out that invest in their life for the past right. five years saying, I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how I've seen the drip of that type of discipleship come out to where these these young, now growing up believers are now ending up in internships, not all at Open Door, but at different places right. all over the U.S. where they're aspiring towards some aspect of pastoral ministry. Yeah, yeah. So as we wrap up, I want you to uh, think about the person who's listening right now. And they're interested in planting, they're interested in uh, replanting, they're interested in uh, revitalizing, uh, and so on. Uh, I want you to think of, of, of two groups. So how would you uh, uh, encourage and, and advise one who is thinking about that from outside of the Pillar Network? Yeah. And then I want you to think about somebody who's interested in the Pillar Network. And, and you know, how would you, what would you say to either, uh, yeah. either of those guys? Yeah, I would say, first off, if somebody is interested in just planting or revitalizing a church, they're interested in pastoral ministry. So go and talk with your pastor. Like, this is the most important thing that you can do. And I think sometimes it just gets overlooked. Mm. And I don't know why it gets overlooked, um, but you need to develop the type of relationship with your pastor or your group of pastors, hopefully, and just let them know, man, I'm, a, I'm starting to aspire towards, towards, I've got these desires. I don't necessarily know what to do with them, mm-hmm. but I want to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. And then allow these pastors, these men that God have given you, in a sense, I mean, this, these are your shepherds right here. They're going to hold a sense of, uh, of, of a, you know, as, as they meet with the Lord one day, there's going to be an accountability for how the elders shepherded their flock. Mm-hmm. And so and how they work, you know, with guys through these desires and aspirations. Um, and so you need to go humbly and say, do you see these things in my life and will you help me grow in character and in gifting so that I can serve the church with my gifts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that would then be them kind of partnering with the seminary or sending them to a seminary or just working with you and saying, okay, let's get into the Word, let's read some good books, and let's understand how we kind of shepherd the body mm-hmm. and pull back the curtain there. I think that's the most important thing um, and because we're raising up pastors, right? So I think there's this, we need to be careful about, are we raising up church planters? Are we raising up pastors? We're raising up elders and pastors, Mm -hmm. okay? And these guys will be sent out, some of which 
will use their gifts to help start a new church. Mm-hmm. But they're doing the work of shepherding. Mm-hmm. Now, they may have some, some, some distinct kind of unique gifts in some ways that are different than somebody that may go in and revitalize a church. Yeah. But what we're most concerned about is we don't want to become this, this, this group, or the church doesn't necessarily need to become a group that assesses personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? That's where I feel like we can very easily err. We can take the charismatic, um, uh, just larger-than-life personality, very gifted brother in many ways, and then that gifting sometimes can then overlook character mm-hmm. flaws, mm-hmm. Um, and and we're just willing to move him ahead quickly because man, he can start a gathering pretty quick. Yeah, and yeah. and we, we we all know the air just of other podcasts that we've been listening to lately about mm-hmm. these things. We got to recognize our own tendencies in this, right. so we've got to mm-hmm. be all the more rooted. Um, but talk to your church, talk to your pastors. Number one thing, and then you know go to thepillarnetwork.com. Get information about what is a healthy church. Other organizations like Nine Marks Ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, go there. Start reading about what is a healthy church. There's mm-hmm. tons of amazing resources. Pillar Network shares amazing partnership there. And sure. and so I would say just unload on reading all these things. Take it in. Uh, and then, you know, if, if the Lord continues to move, you know, allow your church to take a lead in this. They may have never planted a church before. I would say to the sending church that's kind of looking at your life and doctrine, have them reach out mm-hmm. to the Pillar Network or another another group like this that's going to help them walk through how to best prepare you to either be sent or to land at another church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, those within our network, I don't know if I would say anything differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want to use any process outside of our network that would be different. Sometimes it takes a little bit more coaching um, just because they don't know about these things. Hopefully within the network, there's a culture that's being developed that this is just what we do. Mm. We cooperate together as a group of doctrinally aligned churches to raise up the next generation of pastors to plant and revitalize churches. And so we're doing it from the very beginning where hopefully pastors are inviting those into our monthly meetings uh, that are aspiring towards pastoral ministry. And they're sitting in and watching other pastors cooperate together. Um, which will then just provide a, a door for them, hopefully, to, to not just have one sending church, but maybe a group of five or ten other doctrinally aligned churches that when it comes time for you to be sent are all in and ready to go. Mm. Yeah. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll do it. Uh, thank you again, brother, for joining our conversation and just the work that the Pillar Network has been doing in our area and across the country, across the world. Uh, we, we really appreciate y'all. Uh, And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful uh, in any way, consider leaving us a five-star review and rating. Uh, We would love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.